Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. We're in this series, U-Turn, because we seek the good life, the full, meaningful, satisfying life that we're after. Now, what many of us have realized, unfortunately the hard way, is that the way we've been living, the way of the world, doesn't lead us to this good life. But there is a better way, and Jesus reveals that way in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And as we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, what we're coming to find is that the way to the good life, the way to the kingdom, as Jesus described it, is actually following him. You see, to find life, we have to follow him. And what we learned last time is that Jesus believes scripture is both a sign pointing to him and our roadmap to following him. Nowhere is this more true than in our relationships. Now, I'm just going to warn you on the front end that what Jesus has to say next in the Sermon on the Mount is going to challenge us. It's going to convict us And there may be a time where you want to tune out, you want to turn this thing off. And I just want you to know, I get it. I get it. It it makes sense. It's hard to hear uh, about the sin in our hearts. But it's the sin in our hearts that has caused so much damage in our relationships. And the good news, even at the outset, I want you to know this. The hope we have is that when we experience healing in our hearts, we can experience healthy relationships with those around us. And this is what Jesus invites us to today. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 5, 21 through 28. And if you need a Bible, you can, of course, follow along in our free app where there's a place you can jot down some notes as well. We're going to have to move quick because there's a lot to cover. But even in that rapid pace, even in the the urgency, I want to pause and I want to pray because anytime our sin is surfaced, we feel convicted, we feel challenged. It can be hard to hear what God wants to say to us. So let's pause, let's pray, and ask that God would give us open ears and open hearts to hear what he has. Lord, we ask that right now, that you would speak, that you would move, that your spirit would would touch each one of our hearts, that you would bring healing from past wounds, that you would uh, reveal your way to healthier relationships. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, picking up. In Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says brother or sister, says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. 
You have heard that it was said. We're going to hear this language a lot from Jesus today because he reminded his audience of what the law, the Hebrew scriptures taught, and then he follows it up with this phrase, but I tell you. Because for Jesus, the heart is the heart of the matter. We just read it. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to amplify it. It, He reveals that our, our character matters even more than our actions. Our heart matters. So, so yes, please don't murder, but don't even be angry. Uh, Don't call someone a fool, a numbskull, an idiot. Why? Uh, Because that causes division and God is a God of unity. Uh, Don't, don't stew in your anger. Seek reconciliation. Why? Because God is a God of reconciliation. Well, while we were stuck in our sin, death was awaiting us, that was the wage for our sin, while we were separated from God, God sent Jesus to reconcile us to Him. Disconnected doesn't have to be your story. You can connect with God, and Jesus is the way. Frustration, bitterness, anger have have no place in the heart of a follower of Jesus. I never really thought of myself as an angry person. Uh, I felt like, you know, I kind of can keep my emotions in check. And then I got married and realized I get mad anytime I don't get my way. And then I had kids and I'm appalled at how frustrated I can get over fussing. For not being an angry person, I have spent my fair share of time apologizing to Amanda and apologizing to our girls for being short with them, even snapping at them at times. And I'm not proud of this, but I'm so thankful for the compassion, the grace, the mercy of God, because every time I've repented of my sin, he has forgiven me again and again. And what I've come to learn over the years is that reconciliation, it's a two-way street, but we can only impact one side of the equation. And what God asks of us is to do our part to live at peace with others, to do our part in seeking reconciliation, because that's what God, through Christ, has done with us. So, while we can't control how they react, we can control how we respond. Jesus' point here, reconcile with others, therefore, as your heavenly Father has reconciled with you. We we could camp on this portion of the passage all day because many of us are more angry than we care to admit. But Jesus has more people to offend. Next, he gets even more personal in verses 27 through 32. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. 
and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here we got adultery and divorce. Uh, these are two biggies. Uh, each could have a message on them in and of themselves, and, and maybe one day we'll do that, but it's challenging to even address these quickly because they're touchy subjects. They're so personal in nature. So on the front end, I just want to say, I don't know your story. I don't know the specifics. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're walking through. But if adultery, if divorce is part of your story in any, any form or fashion, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the pain you feel. I'm sorry for the heartbreak you've experienced. I'm sorry for the shame that may have taken root. If it's helpful, just know I'm available to talk. If that could be part of your healing process, don't hesitate to reach out. Now, while I don't know your story, I do know someone who does. Jesus does, and he loves you. He loves you so much. And even before you did that or you experienced that, he loved you. And he spoke these words because he wants you to experience healing and he wants you to experience health in your relationships. So I'm going to lean on Jesus' teaching here today because it stands in stark contrast to the popular teaching of the day. As we know, a culture today, we, we kind of understand adultery as voluntary sexual uh, you know, activity with somebody who's not our spouse. Like if you're married and you have sex with someone who's not your spouse, you've committed adultery. Now, what this actually does is it, it permits something. It permits that if we're single, uh, we can have the one night stand, uh, friends with benefits, Netflix and chill, the, the cohabitating culture that our, well, our culture is normalized. But here, Jesus equates adultery with any voluntary sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. And for God, marriage is is a forever relationship between one man and one woman. So any sexual activity outside of this doesn't honor him and it doesn't honor others. This, as much as anything, stands in such stark contrast to the way of our world. This is not what we're seeing, you know, preached on the streets. This is challenging because not only is sleeping together with someone who's not your spouse sin, but even the lustful look at the gal at the gym is sin. And Jesus didn't mince words when he used hyperbole to instruct his followers to avoid the act of adultery, to avoid a heart of lust at all costs. So don't spend the night. Don't go on the trip. Don't follow that account. Don't take a second glance. In a world that sells products by selling sex, it is so hard not to fall into this trap of sexual immorality. That's why I, one of my favorite features on my phone is the dislike button. When I see an article or an ad that is selling something by selling sex or, or trying to help make me click that because they want me to click it for whatever reason and they're using sex to, to try to make that appeal, well, I just dislike it so that the algorithm suggests it less. Our world, we're being bombarded with things all the time. I'm just trying to do the little, little bit I can to try to guard my heart, guard my mind. The, the way of Jesus in our personal, in our romantic relationships, it is a U-turn from the way of the world, from the way many of us have been living. And here's why. God designed marriage to represent the relationship that he wants with us. You see, 
Throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God used marriage as the metaphor for the covenant relationship he wants with us. And he did this because the amazing thing about him is that he is faithful. He is so faithful. And he wants us to be faithful in a relationship with him. And marriage is supposed to be a faithful relationship. Uh, but if, if you've read the Old Testament, or even if you just reflect on your own life, like there are times where we are un faithful. We're unfaithful to one another, we're unfaithful to God. But the story of Scripture, the good news of the gospel is that God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. And Jesus is calling us to faithfulness, not to adultery, not to lust, not even to divorce. Because the, the popular teaching back then was that it was, you know, pretty easy, it was pretty permissive to get a divorce. Kind of like today. But divorce breaks God's heart because it's a break in the covenant. And that's just, you know, that's the case with sexual morality too. It, the only reason that, that Jesus gives for, for someone to be able to get a divorce isn't just, you know, whenever they want it. It's, it's when there's a break in the covenant, when there's sexual immorality. Because he, he knows the pain. He knows the hurt. He knows the shame that can come with divorce for the parents and for the kids. He, he, he sees it all. And, and that's why he calls us to faithfulness, because he wants God's best for, for you and, and for me. So know this, even if you've, you've turned your back on God, you, you've lived life your way, it's felt so good in the moment, but now you're experiencing the pain that, that came with that, just know this, when, when you come to Jesus, there is no shame at the foot of the cross. He, he forgives us. He is compassionate. He is merciful. And even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. So repent of your sin. Follow Jesus. He is good. He is really good. And when we are faithful, this honors God and it honors others whether it's adultery, lust, divorce, any kind of sexual immorality, th these are very personal matters. So if it's helpful to talk with someone, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you need prayer to experience healing from something in your past or something you're going through now, you can very confidentially even request prayer through our app or a connect card. Or if you just wanna talk with me, shoot me an email and we'll find a time soon. For now, I'm going to sum up Jesus' point this way. Be faithful, therefore, as your heavenly Father is faithful. Next, Jesus addressed another matter of the heart, because as we're seeing, for Jesus, the heart is the heart of the matter. matter. And he says this in verse 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Not only should we not break an oath, we shouldn't even make an oath. Why? Well, because we should be honest in all our ways. When we say yes, it means yes. When we say no, it means no. 
We don't need to say, oh, I swear I'll take care of it. Or you have my word, it won't happen again. But if you think about it, it's kind of a weird saying because we just kind of fell short of our word. But anyhow, why does integrity in our character and honesty in our speech matter so much to God? Because God is true to his word. He is honest in all of his ways. He's faultless. And as God is true to his word, we should be true to our word. Uh, this means that we should report honestly at work and we should communicate honestly at home. As a, a, as a parent, one of the hardest things is seeing your kid lie. Because you, you just know, like, why? why uh, what happened? And I went through a lying phase myself. I'm just going to tell you, I wasn't even very good at it, okay? Like, there was a, I, I lied, and my mom, you know, she, she found out, and I got punished. And the punishment I, I got for this, this lie was I needed to write in nice, neat handwriting 50 times that I will not lie. 50 times, nice, neat handwriting. Now, if you have seen my handwriting, you know how hard that was. Not even two days later. I'm in the sandbox playing with my brother Kevin and I throw sand at him. My mom is not even five feet away. She sees it all unfold right in front of her and she asks me, you know, what, what I did. Why is Kevin crying? And I just flat out lied about it. And again, I, I'm, I'm grounded and I have to write, I will not lie 50 times in nice, neat handwriting. That time it stuck. Never again do I want to endure such torture. Dishonesty dishonors God and dishonors others. This is why God desires honesty from his kids. Because it, it, it's our honesty that honors him and it honors the relationships we have with those around us. So speak in such a way that your yes means yes, your no means no. People don't need you to promise, to swear, to make an oath of any kind. Be honest, therefore as your heavenly Father is honest. All right, the, the, the heart surgery, it's almost over, but Jesus has something else he needs to address, a, a disease that plagues most of our hearts. And he called it out in what he said next, now in verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt and hand over your cloak, your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus concluded this section in the Sermon on the Mount, calling out the lack of love in our hearts. First, he addressed the retaliatory nature we have, and then he spotlighted our hateful hearts. Both this tendency towards retaliation and the hate in our hearts, they directly oppose the loving heart of God. 
So, first, Jesus overturned the popular teaching, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Uh, you know, just retaliate. That's the, that's the way to right the wrong. Well, <laughs> Jesus gives this illustration, like when, when slapped, and this here was, it was a backhanded slap to the face. He says, don't swing back, turn the other cheek. So, when someone insults you, when something, someone says something about you, whether it's true or not, and you just want to swing back with your words, could be in person, could be on social, whatever it is, take it on the chin and move on. That's what Jesus is calling us to here. But then he ups the ante on love and what he says next. When you're sued for your shirt, when you're asked to, to go one mile, because the, the, the law back then was that if a Roman soldier asked a Jew to carry their load for a mile, they had to do it, no questions asked. But Jesus says, don't just, you know, go one mile, go two. And then he, he says, uh, you know, when you're asked to lend, <laughs> you shouldn't just give hesitantly, you should give generously because Jesus calls his followers to extravagant love. Because God's love is extravagant. His love is so extravagant. Uh, look no further than your own life to know this is true. In the coming weeks, we're going to see Jesus teach some things like we should give to the needy. But how many of us, you know, God has been so rich and generous towards us that when we have given, we've actually received more blessing from that experience than those we gave to. Or Jesus is going to teach that, that we should pray for our daily bread. If you look in your pantry, does it look like a Costco shelf? Because ours does. We've been blessed so much. Or even we're supposed to store up treasures in heaven. But how many of us have been blessed tremendously, relationally, financially, vocationally? God's love is extravagant, so our love should be extravagant. And there is no love more extravagant than unconditional love. Jesus called out the false assumption that love for neighbor meant hate for enemy. If only that was the case, because we're so good at it. We're good at bad-mouthing our boss when we don't get the promotion. We're good at sharing our thoughts unfiltered on social media and calling them idiots and whatever. Like, we're good at expressing hate. But Jesus calls us to express love. He says, but God, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus says, you know, you want to stand out as my followers. Don't be like everyone else. Don't act like that. Be like my heavenly Father who loves unconditionally. This is what we're called to as followers of Jesus. God's love is extravagant. God's love is unconditional. So love without limits. Do for others what they didn't do for you. Lift those up who have put you down. Love those you don't even like. Be loving, therefore, as your heavenly Father is loving. You know, you know, at this point, this point, like we've all we've all taken it. Like we feel it. We feel it in our heart. We, we're well aware of our sin. We know that we fall short of perfection. So why did Jesus conclude by saying this? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, it just kind of feels like we're being kicked while we're down. But this is a, a misunderstanding of what Jesus meant. You see, the, the Greek word here that's translated perfect can also mean mature, complete. 
And we're not perfect today. We're well aware of that, but Jesus is perfect. And he makes us perfect, mature, complete, righteous before God. And as we kind of talked about earlier in the series, while we're, while we're made complete, we're made righteous, made mature, uh, functionally, right, you know, right before God, in, in imme- immediately when we receive Jesus, functionally, we're, we're being made perfect, mature, complete by the work of His Spirit in our hearts so that we, we don't do what we've always done. We don't speak like we've always spoken. We don't treat people like we've always treated them. And every time we read His Word, we repent of our sin. Every time we follow Jesus, we grow in this perfection, this maturity, this completeness that Jesus calls us to. When you tuned in today, you might have been angry, lustful, unfaithful, quick to retaliate, hateful. But God, God is so incredibly honest and faithful, and his love is extravagant and unconditional. So you, you can be a person of reconciliation. You can be faithful in your relationships. You can be honest in your speech. You can be loving in a way that turns heads. You see, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is our hope for healing in our hearts and health in our relationships. Paul, when uh, he was writing a letter to the church in Corinth, his second letter to the church in Corinth, he, he said this, and I'll close with it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting the people's sin against them, and he has committed us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Bottom line is this. Relate with others, therefore, as your heavenly Father relates with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the way you relate with us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the one who reconciles us with you so we can have a relationship with you, a relationship that transforms all of our relationships. For the ways that we've fallen short, in in our anger, in our unfaithfulness, in our our sexual sin, in our dishonesty, our, our lack of love, Lord, all of it, we bring it before you and we ask that you'd forgive us, that you would heal our hearts And as you heal our hearts, you'd bring health to our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.